With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. I'm grateful to be here. Stand here to serve the Lord Jesus Christ in this capacity to minister the word of God. As we do each Sunday morning, as we stand and prepare to minister the word of God, we always lift our Bibles or our smart tablets or smartphones, whatever we have our Bibles on, and we make this declaration. So if you don't have yours, just raise your right hand, if you will, and repeat after me. If I receive this word with my mind only, this word will be dead for me. But if I receive this word with the spirit over my mind, this word will be life for me. Lord, I don't need religious form and fashion. I need life. Now look at your neighbor and say, neighbor, let's get some life in here today. <laughs> I love it. I love it. We are we have been ministering now for a few for a couple of months actually and then of course in this particular passage of scripture for um several weeks now we have been dealing with or looking at and ministering from the subject after all this time don't you think it's time to grow up? And so we're dealing now with spiritual, we're changing, we're, we're, what we're teaching now is that transition from and how we do that from spiritual immaturity to spiritual maturity. So our scripture is coming from Hebrews chapter 6, verses 9 through 20. Hebrews chapter 9, verses, chapter 6 rather, verses 9 through 20. And you'll find these words. But, beloved, we are confident of better things concerning you, yet things that accompany salvation. Though we speak in this manner, for God is not unjust to forgive your work and labor of love which you have shown toward his name in that you have ministered to the saints and do minister. We desire that each one of you show the same diligence to the full assurance of hope until the end, that you do not become sluggish, but imitate those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. For when God made a promise to Abraham, because he could not find one greater to swear by, he swore by himself saying, surely blessing I will bless you, and multiplying I will multiply you. And so after he had patiently endured, he obtained the promise. For men indeed swear by the greater, and an oath for confirmation is for them an end of all dispute. Verse 17, thus God determined to show more abundantly to the heirs of the promise 
the immutability of his counsel, confirmed it by an oath, verse 18, that by two immutable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we might have strong consolation who have fled for refuge to lay hold of the hope set before us. This hope we have as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, and which enters the presence behind the veil. And our final verse, where the forerunner has entered before us, Jesus Christ, even Jesus, having become high priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. Heavenly Father, we thank you this morning. We're grateful to you, God, for loving us enough to give your only begotten Son, Jesus Christ, who entered this world, Lord God, as we enter this world through a woman, a virgin, by the name of Mary. We honor her, Lord God, for her humble submission to your will in bringing him into this life, into this earth. And now, Lord Jesus, we thank you and we praise you and we invite your presence here. We invite the power and the presence of your Holy Spirit to minister to us. Holy Spirit, I am your temple. I am insignificant on my own. But you, O Holy Spirit, I have been given unto us to minister the word of God to us in order that Jesus Christ might be edified in this earth. Use me, a vessel unworthy of your presence and your use that the word of God may minister to your people. It is in the name of Jesus Christ that we pray and we give thanks. Amen. Amen. For he is Lord. He is Lord. He has risen from the dead. And he is Lord. Every knee shall bow, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Thank you. We again are grateful for your presence here today. We thank God for this family. Let's thank God for this family. Again, we are transitioning now from, we have talked about for the past few weeks about spiritual immaturity. And now we are transitioning from spiritual immaturity to how to be spiritual, spiritually mature. So we have, um, in this book of Hebrews, I read this over two decades ago, and there was something about the book of Hebrews that just really moved me. I felt that I was supposed to get into this book, and I was supposed to understand this book. I think what pulled me to the book of Hebrews so strongly is that it, it, it uses the Old Testament to really bring meaning and understanding to the Christian Jews uh, to whom this letter was written, uh, particularly considering the fact that they were being stretched and pressured to revert back to Judaism and to leave Christianity, to say goodbye to Jesus Christ and come back to the law of Moses, which is a law of work, where in Christianity is a law is, is grace, it is the 
We're in a dispensation of grace where Jesus Christ has done everything that needs to be done in order for a person to receive eternal life. Because men were unable to fulfill or obey the law of God completely, and only Jesus Christ was able to do so. And because of that, we have an opportunity now through grace, the grace of Christ, to enter into the presence of God by in relationship. So in this series, our primary focus has been and continues to be on the superiority of Jesus Christ over the prophets and over the saints of God. He is superior to all prophets. He is superior to every angel. He is superior to every man. He is superior to Abraham. He is superior to Moses. And he is superior to Satan, the devil. As Emmanuel, that is God who walks among us being fully human, he is able to give us that God kind of a rest. Rest is defined as a change of state from activity or work to a cessation from work that results in a feeling of refreshing tranquility and an absence of tension and worry. How many of you in here have felt stress in your life before? How many of you just get so tired of all the weight of the world just falling down on you that you just need a break? That's where Jesus has come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, I will give you rest. He says, take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and you shall find rest for your soul. So he's able to give us that God kind of rest. And when we think about rest, we think about the second generation of Jews that took possession of the promised land, while the first generation of Jews that came out of Egyptian bondage died in the wilderness during their 40-year journey. And they died and did not enter the promised land because of unbelief in God. Now, it is important, and this is an important point here. I believe when, you, when we look at this passage of Scripture, when we look at chapters 3 and 4 in light of the Hebrew author's writing, we can see what he meant when he said, for it is impossible for those who are once enlightened and have tasted the heavenly gift and have become partakers of the Holy Spirit and have tasted the good word of God and the powers of the age to come if they fall away to renew again themselves to repentance since they crucified again for themselves the Son of God and put him to an open shame. Now, the first generation of Jews did not enter the promised land, even though they were beneficiaries of God's liberating of the Jews out of Egyptian bondage. They, listen, it's a terrible thing to see God do things in the lives of people that do things for you and you still don't believe. He did God delivered them, he, he sent ten plagues to deliver them out of Egyptian bondage. Then he sent a cloudy pillar by day and a fiery pillar by night to guide them through the wilderness. When they came to the Red Sea and Pharaoh's army came up behind them, God shifted and put a, a, a wall of fire between Pharaoh and his, and, his, uh, and his army and the children of Israel. And he caused the, the wheels to fall off of, of Pharaoh's chariot. 
At the same time, he opened up the Red Sea and allowed the Jewish people to cross over on dry land. And then he, so he, they saw him defeat the Egyptian army. They witnessed him walking with them through the wilderness. Daily, he provided for them food and shelter and water. So they did not need for anything. And, and these are the ones, this is the first generation that came out of Egyptian bondage. But listen, I'm telling you, he was so good that the clothes, let me ask you, how would you like to wear the same set of clothes for 40 years? Wear the same pair of shoes for 40 years. Would you like to do that? No. Uh-uh. That sounds icky, doesn't it? But listen, they wore the same clothes, they wore the same shoes, and they did not wear out. He was just that good. God kept them through the wilderness. He provided water from rocks. He provided food for them when they needed it. Manna from heaven, that's bread that means what is it? Because they didn't know what it was the first time. And the only time God brings manna down from heaven was for the children of Israel as they journeyed through the wilderness prior to taking over possession of the promised land. And then he gave them quail for meat to eat. I don't know about you, but I, I grew up down south, and I grew up shooting quail, and I grew up planting. I, I grew up doing a lot of things, uh, trapping in the woods. I caught raccoons and opossums and, and rabbits, and I ate those things. I cleaned them. I ate them. I skinned fish. I did all of that stuff. That's how I grew up. They didn't have to do that. God provided what they needed. All they had to do was take it and do what they needed to do with it to, to survive. They saw all of those things that God did for them in the wilderness, and they still did not believe in God. The, you know, you've you got to ask the question, what happened? Why didn't the light come on? So they witnessed victory after victory over their enemy, starting with Pharaoh and his army. The, the Amalekites and many other nations that attacked them, they heard the precious words of God. They heard the voice of God. They agreed to obey and serve God. And having all that firsthand experience with God, they still did not believe in God. There's a problem. In fact, concerning the rich man and Lazarus, when they both died, the rich man's world, the word tells us that during his earthly life, he had experienced the manifold blessings of God. He did not want for anything. If he wanted food, he had it. If he wanted new clothes, he had it. If he wanted shoes, he had it. If he wanted water, he had it. Wine, he had it. Whatever he wanted in this life here, he had it. He was rich. He didn't have to worry about anything. So it was the rich man's words that tells us during his earthly life he had experienced all God's blessings. Yet his place in hell tells us that he did not believe in God enough to give his life completely to God. If I may go a step farther, I believe he came to the painful realization that even his status as a Jew wasn't enough to keep him out of hell. Those, mm, those who entered the promised land were given rest from their wanderings in the wilderness because of their faith in God. They finally had a land of their own to inhabit. I remember when my wife and I got our first house. 
we when we first were married, we tried to buy a house, rent, rent an apartment in Virginia Beach, and we could not even afford to rent an apartment. God shifted. I was on active duty, and I served 35 years in the Navy, and I was on active duty at that time. And I was transferred to, to Washington. We were transferred to Washington State. And when we came back, God had prepared a way for us to be able to buy our first home. When we could not afford an apartment, now we were able to buy a home. That's how good God is. You want to know what my testimony is? That's one of my testimonies, how God provides for us. If you ask me, do I deserve it? The answer is no. I don't deserve anything God, good that God has done for me, but I am grateful. That's why you won't find me walking around thinking that I'm better than anybody else. That's why you will never see me look down on somebody else or talk bad about somebody else because I remember where he brought me from. I remember that I was nothing. And in my own eyes, I am still nothing. But in his eyes, I, he loves me and he calls me precious. Uh, I'm telling you, I can... Nobody else may want to believe in him. Nobody else may want to trust in him. But I believe in him and I trust in him. My children never had to worry about what their, where their next meal was coming from. They never had to worry about where they, whether they would have a roof over their heads or not. They never had to worry about clothes or pencils or paper or any of that stuff. Why? Because I put my trust in the Lord and the Lord has carried me this far and he's still carrying me. I'll never be good enough and I'm grateful to him for the time that I have to serve him. So when he called me and said, you are my pastor, you're going to bring millions to me, I said, Lord, I need an education. I need to understand. I need to be able to stand here and tell your people what you say to them. And I need to be able to look into your word and be able to say, this is what the word of God says. But I cannot do it apart from your Holy Spirit. I need an education. I need your Holy Spirit. So no longer did they have to wander aimlessly through the wilderness. Although experiencing God, uh, what God brought them through, they experienced the changes and all of that stuff, and it still wasn't enough for them to put their faith and their trust in God. And that, that kind of hurts because when, when you sit here and you hear the word of God and you know the word of God is ministering to you, but they still would not receive. They still ignore him. Therefore, the Hebrews author says, it is impossible to renew them again to repentance when people reject Jesus Christ after hearing the good news. You and I may not see how they can be saved. But let me tell you something. Even though they reject the word of God, there is a moment, and there will be another moment, if they don't do it now, there will be another moment where God will minister to them again and give them another opportunity. So we can never say that once a person turns their back on Jesus Christ and they reject him, that he will not, they will not be saved. We can't say that because only God knows the heart of an individual. I can't see into your heart, but I can see what is in your heart by your actions, by your outward actions. And you can tell a lot about a person like that. But we must remember that God is not even a respecter of persons. So he doesn't care who you are. He doesn't care what your background is. He doesn't care whether you're rich or poor. He doesn't care about any of those things. What he cares about is what's in here. He cares about what's in your heart. Many people will hear and experience the benefits of the blessings received in Jesus Christ, 
but it will never be enough for some of them to place their trust in him. Instead, they will walk away and try to take as many people with them as they can. A miserable, unhappy person will always try to pass on their disease of misery and unhappiness to others. They always will. doesn't matter who you are. In fact, once a person has experienced the blessings of God through Christ and they walk away, they are, they are the ones who can strike the most vicious blows against the faith. These are what we call atheists. Many people are attending Christian seminaries, Bible colleges, Protestant and Catholic, while maintaining faith in their own religion. I read recently how the Chinese are sending their children to America to attend Christian schools, primary, primary and upward, and maintaining their Buddhist faith. What is their purpose for attending Christian institutions if not to become a Christian? That said, believers' rest does not come from anything they do, but their complete faith and trust in Jesus Christ. So in, in the word, the words of verses 4 through 6 may appear harsh. Let me read those to you. I promise you. Okay. For it is impossible for those who were once enlightened and have tasted the heavenly gift and have become partakers of the Holy Spirit and have tasted the good word of God and the powers of the age to come, if they fall away to renew them again to repentance and they crucify again for themselves the Son of God and put him to an open shame. These words, they may sound hard. They may sound like he's uncaring, but sometimes, even as parents, our voice is very strong, and the words we say to our children are very strong. Why? Because we love them enough to correct them. We love them enough to let them know how important it is that what I say you must do. If I tell you don't put your hand on that hot stove, don't put your hand on that hot stove. If I tell you don't open the door to strangers, don't open the door to strangers. If I tell you don't get in the car with strangers, don't get in the car with strangers. If I tell you, don't go into somebody's house without me without my permission, and I know who they are, don't go into their house unless I know who they are. Some things we have to say strongly. Why? Because it is important for them to understand. And so these words that the Hebrews author has spoken here, they may be strong, but they're not words of, of anger or bitterness or, or hatred, but they are words of love. The author needed to impress upon the Jewish Christian readers the importance of growing in their faith in Jesus Christ and not just wandering aimlessly in their faith. If I tell you you need to know God, if I tell you you need to go to school and get a good education, I send you to school to get a good education. We used to ask our children, what is the primary purpose for you going to school? They would always think to get an education, but my boys always got in trouble. <laughs> they always did something that they had no business doing, but they understood that they needed to get an education. That's why you go to school. Well, as believers, Peter's knowledge about one's faith in Jesus Christ is of paramount importance. Knowledge in this society is important for us to be able to move forward, to go forward and advance in our life to be able to provide for our families to be able to meet the needs, our own needs, as well as those of our family. 
So knowledge about one's faith in Jesus Christ is of paramount importance. After all, it was knowledge acquired, acquired and possessed by those who shared the gospel with us that enabled us to make an informed decision about Jesus Christ. We have to know about something before we can believe in it. And, and if we believe in it, we trust in it. We trust, sometimes we trust in the wrong thing. Sometimes we trust in the wrong people. If I'm married, I should be able to trust my spouse. And that's a good thing. I may not be able to trust anybody else, but I should be able to trust my wife as a man. I should be able to trust my husband as a woman. Amen? Trust is important. I know my wife knows me better than anybody else knows me. And I'm sure I know her better than anybody else knows her. We've been married for almost 39 years now, so I know that I know her really, really well. And then vice versa. And I'm so grateful to God for this woman of God. I love her with all my heart. So, after all, I said it was knowledge that someone possessed and shared with us in order for us to make that informed decision. Peter tells believers that grace and peace is increased exponentially in the lives of believers due to their knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. Here's what he says, grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. As he, as his divine power, has given to us things, all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue, by which have been given to us exceedingly great uh, and precious promises, that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped corruption that is in the world through lust. That's Second Peter chapter two, uh, verses two through four. One actually, chapter one, verses two through four. Now, in a general sense, grace then is a demonstration of God's delight in His creation. That's us. We are his creation. When God looked at us after he created everything, he looked at us and said, that's good. That's not just good, but that's very good. So we, when we are made in his image and in his likeness, he sees us, he says, wow, I see me, because they made them to look like me. We, we're not talking about the physical body look like me. We're talking about the, the internal person, the spirit man, the, the heart of us, or who we are in our soul, our spirit. That's what God sees, because we are... Because we are made in his image and in his likeness. That's why both the just and the unjust enjoy the rain that falls from heaven. This is called what I call a general, if you will, um, grace. Uh, so that's why both the just and the unjust enjoy the warmth of the sun. That's why the just and unjust bring the same oxygen. But specific grace, this specific grace, don't miss this now. Specific grace is God extending goodwill and favor to believers in Christ. This favor isn't something that you and I deserve because of something we might have done. No, we'll never be good enough. We'll never be, we'll never be able to work hard enough to earn this grace because this grace is something that is given to us. It was purchased by Jesus Christ. So this favor isn't something that you and I deserve. Favor for the believer is based on what Christ has done on the cross 
and unless and until a person commits himself to the study of God's precious word, they will never discover what the exceeding great and precious promises are in their life. It is knowledge. That is a believer coming to understand God's word clearly and distinctly and believe it to be a true, be as true today and as valid today as it was the first time it was spoken. That's the word of God. We must believe it with all our heart. As true believers embrace the truly inspired word of God, we are shaped, conformed, changed uh, into the image or likeness of Jesus Christ. That's what it means to be a partaker or a participant of divine nature. We begin to demonstrate God's love in others, and we begin to demonstrate God's love to others. We find forgiving others very easy to do. When before we used to hold grudges against people, we used to say, I will never. When I was growing up, somebody made me angry. I said, I'll never forgive them. I'll hate them the rest of my life. And I'm so glad, I'm so glad that I told God, I'm so sorry. Please forgive me. I was ignorant. I was stupid. I didn't know any better. I didn't know what I was saying. But when you receive Christ in your heart, you forgive. And you forgive freely. You don't care whether they're right or wrong, what they did against you was wrong. You just forgive them. Why? Why do we forgive? So that it will be okay with us. So that we don't walk around with the burden and the pain and the weight of that unforgiveness. When you have unforgiveness in your heart, you walk around feeling guilty. When you have unforgiveness in your heart, you will see the person that made you angry, that did you wrong, and the first thing you'll do is you'll tighten up in your chest, and then your mind will start thinking about it, and then it'll give you a headache, and you'll start sweating. you say, I can't stand that person. That person then has control over you. That person has gone on about their lives, but that person has control over you. Why? Because you cannot forgive. That person probably doesn't even remember what you're talking about, what you're thinking about, and yet you're holding on to it. This past week, we ran into a, a, a church member that's been a church member for a long time, and she conveyed something to us. She said uh, about someone that this person, when she lost her son, this person came along and did not even say, you know, didn't say a word, I'm so sorry for your loss of anything. This is 16 years ago, and still she's holding on to that grudge, that anger, that pain. She says she's forgiven, but if you're holding on to something, you haven't forgiven the person. You simply haven't. You forgive for your sake, for your health and safety and well-being, so that you can move on. If you can't forgive, God will not forgive you. You know, that's the way it works. Freely you receive, freely you give. So, you forgive when you receive Christ as your Savior, you learn to forgive easier. Not that it doesn't hurt you, but the person did didn't hurt you, but you forgive easier. We have compassion on those who are in need. The, the loss we give, we give our substance to. We begin to live humbly, no longer arrogantly thinking the world owes us something. We begin to walk boldly in Christ, not wavering in our faith. In fact, we will walk more in faith and not by what we see. That's what faith in Christ is. I don't see how I can get myself out of it. 
I don't know how I'm going to get another job. I don't know how I'm going to put food on the table. But I know that I have faith in Christ, and he says I will always supply all of your needs according to my riches and glory in Christ Jesus. God says I will provide for every need. Now, you don't have to worry about that. You just trust in me by prayer. Come to me and tell me what you stand in need of, and I will give it to you. Now, I'm not saying God is a sugar daddy. We're going to ask him for anything. Because, listen, God does not support mess. He will not partner with you if you are walking in, in mess and you're living a life of debauchery and you're doing all manner of things. God will not walk with you with that. He will not partner with you. He will not. But if you are walking and you are trying to, to live according to his will, if you are his and you are standing in need of something, he will provide it. I'm a living witness. He will provide it. I promise you. The Apostle Paul says it this way to believers. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. When you walk and you do the things that pleases God, you are not doing it in vain. You continue to walk your walk. I love what Plato says. I was reading I was reading uh, some words, some, some works of Barclay, and, and, and Barclay said that someone, he read how someone told a lie on Plato, and, and Plato, instead of Plato jumping in the people's face and saying, I'm going to beat you down, I'm going to do this to you, Plato simply said, I will continue to live my life in a way that they will know that what these people said about me was a lie. I don't have to confront anybody. God has a way of making them, showing the reality of a thing. If someone lied on you, all you do is live your life. Don't put something up in their faces. Just walk your life. Live your life the way you're living your life, and God will prove without you having to say anything that those people lied on you. So knowing the basis of our faith, that is repentance from dead work, faith toward God, the doctrine of baptism, laying on a hand resurrection from the dead, and eternal judgment, that's good, but we can't stay there. You can't stay in the ABCs of life. You've got to move forward. You've got to grow up. You've got to mature. And so that's what we're talking about, transitioning, moving from immaturity to maturity. You can't stay there and just keep on A, B, C, D, E, F, D, A, J, 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 L, L, P, Q, R, S, T, U, B, all that other stuff. No, 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 no. You've got to move on. And you can jazz up in A, B, C, Easiest one, two, three. Oh, baby, it's me, you and me. A, B, C. One, two. No, 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 no. You can't do that. You can dress it up however you want, but you got to grow up. You got you. Paul, I love what Paul says. When I was a child, I thought as a child. I think as a child. But when I became a man, I put away child and sick. You've got to grow up. You can't stay the same. No man, no woman want their children to stay little children. They want them to grow up. They want them to get educated, they want them to mature, they want them to get out so they can make their own way so they can enjoy the rest of their lives together as husband and wife, right? I tell you, we're every lessons. I'm loving it. I'm loving it. I'm loving it. And then every time my, my daughter says, well, I'm thinking about quitting my job and coming back home. Mm, no, please don't. Please don't. I love my freedom. Anyway, let me stop kidding around. <laughs> but... Listen, we, have got, we can't stay there 
as little children. We can't stay children forever. We have to grow up in our, in, in our spirit man and and feasting daily upon spiritually nourishing word of nourishing word of God. That's how we grow. When we read the word of God on a daily basis, when we spend time in the word of God. I spend time in the morning and I spend time in the evening and I spend time in the middle of the day because I'm in school. And so and so I have and I have a research paper to write, so I spend time in the word of God almost all day, every day. I got to tell you, though, sometimes I watch the idiot box a lot more than I should, too. I got to tell you. I'll be honest. Can I be honest? Just be honest with you. So the Word of God is nourishing to us. It contains the daily nutrients we need to become spiritually strong in our faith in God and in Christ. The Hebrews author is impressing upon the believers to grow up and take your rightful place in the kingdom of God. Okay. Keep an eye on the time here. Keep, keep, you know, so that you can earn, you know, take your rightful place in the kingdom of God. What else? As teachers, as preachers, as Christian examples of faith in Christ. If I ask you right now, what gift did God give you? What can you tell me? If I ask you, what gift did God give you? What can you tell me? And then I, and once you tell me what that gift is, I'm asking this question. What are you doing with the gift of God? How are you using God's gift? What are you doing with it? When God spoke told Moses in, in, in Exodus chapter uh, 25, verses 4 and verse, uh, chapter 25, he says, I'm giving you the plan for building the tabernacle in the wilderness. And then he goes on, I think it's verse chapter 34, and he says, look, I know you don't know all of these things, but I, I've prepared people that have the wisdom to do everything that I've told you to do. In other words, they have the gifts. They, they know how to measure. They know how to cut. They know how to cut. Uh, cloth, they know how to sew, they know how to knit, they know how to do all of this stuff, they know how to work with gold, they know how to work with silver, they know how to work with all that. And so don't worry about that. You just make sure you tell them exactly what I told you to tell what I, what I told you to do. And make sure that they do it exactly the way that I told you to do it. That's it. What is your gift? And how is that gift being used? Because we are supposed to use the gift in the house of God. And so that everybody can benefit from it. It's not a gift that we can we can we can capitalize on, and we can't capitalize on it. But it doesn't mean that we get so rich with it that we can. Uh, I forget God. I don't want to do this. I don't want to do that. No, no, no. Because that will become your downfall. What is your gift? If you don't know it, seek God. Ask God for it. But I'll have, I'll put this seed in your heart. What are you the most passionate about? What is it that no matter what you think and what you say and what you do, what is it that you always come back to? What is it that holds your heart the dearest, that really just holds on to you and you can't shake it no matter what you do? What is that thing? And that thing may very well be the gift that God has put in you. What are you passionate about? What are you passionate about? Let me give you an example of what spiritual maturity looks like. Acts chapter 4. We'll do this very quickly. Acts chapter 4. One thing I love about uh, the Word of God is that I get the opportunity to teach, not just preach it, but to teach it. And I, and I love the teaching part of it because it brings out so much more. And that's the, that's the part that we lack so much. 
Most people want to come to church and they just want to sit there and they want to get a quick message and they want to get out of it. They don't want to learn anything. They want to engage their brain. You've got to engage that, that noodle up there if you want it to expand and grow. That don't mean your cranium is going to get bigger, but your, but your brain will absorb more knowledge because then you'll be looking abnormal. You know what I mean? I'm losing it. Let me get back to the Word of God. Let me give you an example of what spiritual maturity looked like. Peter and, Peter and John were headed to the temple, and they went through the gate beautiful. And sitting at the gate beautiful was a, a gentleman that had been lame from his birth. And so every morning, people would bring him and drop him at, right there at the gate beautiful. And, and as people walked in, he would beg and ask for money in order so that he could live. And Peter and John walked in, and he saw them, and he looked at them, and he asked them for money. And they looked down, and Peter and John looked down at this man, not like he was the scum of the earth. They didn't look down on him like he was nothing. They didn't look down on him like he was worthless. They looked down at him, and they saw a need that was far greater than any need he could have ever hoped for or imagined. They saw the need for him to become whole, to be whole. Do you know what that's like to be whole, to know who you are, to, to not question who you are, to feel confident in who you are, to be able to walk and to do the things that you do and not have to be and not be concerned about, about what people say about you or what people can do to you if you do this, if you do that. Do you know what it's like just to be whole, to be whole, to be free from the cares of what other people say and think? and how other people treat you, and whether they will or will not help you. Do you know what that's like to be free, to be whole? He looked at them, expecting them to give him money. And Peter and John looked down and said, Silver and gold have I none, but such as I have, give I thee. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, stand up and walk. That brother stood up. He didn't just stand, but his legs were strengthened. His ankle bones were strengthened. And he jumped up, and he began to leap, and he began to shout, and he began to hold on to them, and he began to just say, all oh, now, he just began to praise God. He began to praise God. And the people looking at him said, whoa, isn't this the guy that was sitting there? It can't be that guy. No, if somebody looks like him, it could not possibly be him. Oh, but it is him. It is him. It is me. I'm the one that was sitting out there every morning for almost 40. Yeah, I was there, but I'm sure he wasn't sitting there for 40 years. But he's been there for over 30 years. He was over 40 years old. Still having somebody lift him up and drop him there, lift him up and put him here so that he can earn a living. Man, they gave him something that no one else could give him through Christ. They gave him the use of his limbs. Do you know what that means? That means that gave him his dignity back. That means that gave him an opportunity to live a life, a meaningful life, to go out and do his own thing. He probably had dreams and aspirations of what he wanted to do, but he was limited by his by the crippling of his feet. But he got up, and when he got up, he was able to do some things for himself. Some people say we pick ourselves up our own bootstraps. No, we don't do that. We're self-made. No, somebody along the way came. So there was somebody that helped you. You never make it by yourself. I don't care who you are. You will never be successful by yourself because you need other people in order to be successful. 
they lifted him up. And so Peter and John looked at him. And then they began to talk about, well, it wasn't us that raised this man. It was God. It was the name of Jesus. It was Jesus Christ, the one you crucified, the one that God raised from the dead. He's the one. It is in his name that this man is made whole today. He's 40, over 40 years old, but he's the one that God made whole through his son, Jesus Christ. And so when they were in the Sanhedrin, the boss, the people that crucified Jesus heard them teaching and said, what do you mean teaching in this thing? Let me tell you something. The devil will come after you in a crowd because they, they know they're, they're witnesses. But when they get you by yourself, when the devil sees you by yourself, that's when the damage will be done to you. That's when he will come after you. But God says, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. They would not crucify Peter and John the way they did Jesus. Why? Because too many people saw him. Saw them. Too many people were standing there witnessing what he did, what they did. And they were there to testify. So they couldn't kill him. So what they did was they threatened him. Don't say that again. Don't you ever talk about it. Don't you ever teach in that name again. Don't you ever teach in the name of Jesus. And here goes spiritual maturity comes in that. Peter looked at him. Peter and John looked at him. <laughs> Peter and John looked at him and said, uh, you tell me. He said, they said, you be the witness of whether I, whether we obey you or whether we obey God. And, and he says, we cannot help but preach Jesus Christ, and that's what we're going to do. See, before they ran, when Jesus was arrested, they ran. They, they abandoned him. Peter denied him three times. Before the cop crowed once, he denied him three times. But now, now, He's standing strong. That's what I'm talking about, spiritual maturity. I will not waver. I will not succumb to your threat. I know in whom I have believed, and I am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I confess to him against that day. I will trust in the Lord. I will trust in the Lord with all my heart. And I will lead you not to my own understanding, but in all of my ways I will acknowledge him, and he will direct my path. I want to get you an illustration here, but I only have... Give me two minutes and we'll be, and then I'll, and I'll, we're going to dismiss here. Let me just move on now. I've talked about these, my introduction has covered a lot. Now I want to deal with an illustration, an illustration that the author gives to the, to the Hebrew Christians that he's talking to. Verses 7 and 8. For the earth which drinks in the rain that often comes upon it, and herbs and bears herbs useful for, you, for those by whom it is, it is cultivated, receive blessing from God. But if it bears thorns and briars, it is rejected and near to being cursed, whose end is to be burned. Now, in these two verses, the Hebrews often give an illustration of the truth he has been representing or presenting to the Hebrew Christians. He has been saying throughout Scripture, rain is this. this is, throughout Scripture, rain is an evidence of God's provision for his creation. Two observations made about rain. Let me tell you, here's the first observation about rain. Rain comes down from above. And the second observation, man has no way of creating rain. Man cannot do it by his own ingenuity. Rain is directly from God, just like snow is directly from God. You may be able to take heat, and you may be able to take heat and cold and create a machine that, that, that makes, makes snow, but guess what? Before it was anything, before you were able to do that, God allowed that to happen. 
something God made out of nothing, God made something. All of these things, everything you see was created by God. Nothing that you see was not created by God. So they may be able to use machines and cold and produce snow, but that's not the same thing. That's just ingenuity. That's just, that's just science. But God, he is the one that creates all things. First, rain does not, rain come from above. Man has nothing to do with it. Now, rain comes down from God who is in heaven. So here the Hebrews author envisions two fields which, upon which the blessing of rain falls. Now, we know that there's a good field and there's a bad field. Now, the earth is good, but some parts of the earth produce good quality stuff. But there are other parts of the earth that produce the stuff that's juices, like thorns and thistles. How many of you can go and, and harvest thorns and thistles and take them home today? We got a good harvest of thorns and thistles today. We can have a good meal tonight. Uh, no, you won't be able to do that, will you? But if that good soil produces tomatoes like I used to plant, carrots, like, uh, cabbage and carrots and peas and all those things, I used to plant those things. I used to plant seeds. I used to, when I was thinking about this thing this morning, I was talking to God. One Jesus said that the kernel of corn fall into the ground and die, did abide alone. I remember growing up, we used to plant corn, and I would watch the corn just grow. And on the, and from that one corn, one stalk may one stalk may have five to ten ears of corn on it, and each one of those ears may have a hundred or better kernels of corn on it. From one corn, a whole stalk uh, and, and, and ten ears of corn. Do you know how much you can eat up corn? You get popcorn. I mean, you got cream corn. I mean, you got fried corn. I mean, you got corn on the cob. My goodness, to put some butter on it, look out. Who? Yeah. And, and beans and collard greens and mustard greens and turnip greens and curly mustard and cabbages and tomatoes and watermelons and cantaloupe and cucumbers. I planted all that stuff. I did all of that. I know what it's like to work in the soil. I know what it's like to work hard days. I pick oranges. I pick grapefruit. I know what it's like to drive a tractor and plow a field. I did it when I was coming up. I know hard work. And so I'm telling you that if the water, and then we had to set up irrigation systems in order to put the pump down, in, the, the, the hole of the pump down in the canal, and then connect the pump and the pipe together, and then get that pump going in order to push water through the pipe to water the field. I know what it's like. I've done it. And so, even picking cotton. Now, the clothes that you're wearing is, 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 is too, you, too new to be the cotton that I pick. <laughs> but the point is, if you talk about hard work, you talk about hard work. But it's honest work. You know what I'm saying? It's honest work. These people here, when the water falls on the soil, good soil, it produces good product. But it is useful for people. But if it falls on good soil... And then that soil, because for some reason produces thorns and thistles, is useless. So one field uses God's provision to produce herbs useful to those by whom it is cultivated. The other field, while it receives the same blessing from God, produces thorns and rice. The point here is that blessings from God may be used or misused. They may be rightly used or they may be wrongfully used. And then blessings that are used to produce that which is useful, while blessings misused produce that which is useless. So the warning ends with the observation that while all who believe God receive blessings from God, 
some will use those blessings to produce that which is good, while others will use those same blessings to produce that which is useless. Which would you rather do? That's the question I have for you. Which would you rather do? In Deuteronomy chapter 32, verse 2, God teaching through Moses and seen as rain. Let my teaching drop as rain. The word of God, let my teachings drop as rain. My speech distilled as the dew, as rain drops on the tender earth and as showers on ground. God, through the prophet Isaiah, tells us that his word is like rain and snow that comes down from heaven and does not return until it is fulfilled its purpose on earth. Listen, let me conclude with this. We must understand that these two verses are not restricted to the saved or unsaved Jew, but all. It refers to all of us as the winter face reflects, as the wind in water, the face of a person is reflected, so it is a man's heart is revealed uh, by the things that he does. Well, I'll have to continue this on next week, but to have to hear that word. There may be one here today that asks the question, what must I do to be saved? And the question, the answer is, believe on Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. I know that I've ministered a lot here. I've said a lot. And there's a lot more to be said. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.